Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. It's Friday, which means it's time for our Friday News Roundup. The mayor wants lawmakers to reduce taxes on a new city casino and okay a real estate transfer tax increase. The Chicago's Teachers Union has reached an agreement with the city ending a strike that led to 11 days of canceled classes. It was a hard-fought discussion. It took us a lot of time to get there, but I think this is the right thing ultimately for our city, and I'm glad that this phase is over. Joining me around the table today is that first voice you heard there, WBEZ politics reporter Dave McKenney. We also have NBC5 political reporter Mary Ann Ahern and Crane Chicago business, government and politics reporter A.D. Quigg. And I want to start with a teacher strike. It finally, finally ended yesterday after 11 missed school days. The teachers in the district have reached a tentative deal. A.D., start things off with some details in the agreement. Both sides released basic outlines of the tentative agreement. Chalkbeat Chicago has done a fantastic job of listing out, here's what the union wanted at the start, here's what they got at the end, here's what Lightfoot wanted at the start, here's what she got at the end. What I'm still very curious about is what the ultimate cost of this whole contract will be. We do know CTU got a lot of demands that they made from the start, some minimum staffing, enforceable class sizes, protections for homeless students, uh, sanctuary protections, and lest we forget, a nice raise, 16% over five years. Uh, They wanted a three-year contract. It ended up being five. They will not have to pay as much health care as they initially did uh, in the mayor's initial proposal. Uh, But there's a lot we have to dig through when we see the actual contract. When we see a tentative agreement from the union, it's basically a summary of what's on the table. I am excited to see the actual physical contract, which should be ratified by members in the next week and a half. Well, what was interesting about this strike is you had a mayor who ran on an equity platform, And you had the teachers union calling for equity in the classroom. And there wasn't a lot of disagreement about what everybody wanted. It was about whether or not we could afford it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious what you make about that and about, you know, this is one of the first real political tests for Mayor Lightfoot. And and how did she fare, Marianne? I think she comes out of it slightly bruised. You know, she was riding very high. Her her poll number is 70% and perhaps even higher. And so she comes out of it slightly bruised. However, I think obviously the teachers union comes out of it bruised as well. This is a gal, a former federal prosecutor, never before been in elected office. As a former federal prosecutor, and Dave, you know this far better than I, that you know they don't even take a case that they don't know that they're going to win. So she's used to winning. She's used to digging in and, and winning somewhat easily winning. So might there have been some rookie mistakes, perhaps, giving them the 16% raise at the top? Do you hold that back a little bit? You know, do you say the 14% and then give them the 16 at day two and call this over with in a few faster days? And then this one extra day over the time, uh, some believe that that's a standard part of any strike, that in the end you, you say, okay, we're, we're going to you know make up the days or we're not going to make up the days. She dug in on that one, too. And I think the taxpayers, a lot of them are going to say, good, why did they get paid at all? So I would say overall, though, that five-year deal is something she definitely wanted. That she doesn't Should she plan on running a second term, she's not going to have a contract facing her, at least until after that. There's enough plus and minuses, but the teachers overall got a good, good deal. Well, Dave, this is one of the things we've talked about on the show. You know, this is Mayor Lightfoot's first elected office, and she had a sweeping win um, for, for mayor. Uh, there's no question about that. 
But there was this question about how is she going to fare the politics of having to manage the politics of running the city of Chicago? How do you think she fared? Well, of course, this was a situation where the the union leadership favored her opponent in the mayoral race, Tony Preckwinkle. And I think she was loath in announcing this agreement to say that, you know, who the winners and losers were. And I think Marianne's right that, you know, this buys labor peace, at least with this segment of the, the city's labor, you know, labor unions. But she faced criticism in both papers this morning that I thought was sort of telling that, like, there was criticism of the way she negotiated this deal because, you know, there will be labor contracts with the police and the fire uh, guys. And, and what how is she going to negotiate with them? I mean, this essentially she sort of laid all of her cards on the table at the front end of this. And that's not the traditional way anybody bargains. You've got to show some savvy in negotiating deals like this. Well, CTU President Jesse Sharkey and Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates, who was on earlier today, refused to stand with Mayor Lightfoot when she announced the deal, and then they criticized her. My members went out for 10 days and fought for a nurse. That is the basic minimum for most people around this country. And we had to go out and give up six days of pay to get a nurse in our school every day. So, A.D., with these other contracts uh, to negotiate, for the mayor, is this going to be an issue for her going forward? I wonder about that just because there is no other bargaining like there is with the teachers. It, it impacts so many people, It's and it's not quite as public. I mean, there aren't kids out of school when she's negotiating with the Chicago Police Department, for example, and the Chicago Police Department cannot walk out. And there's a lot of suspicion that it might go to arbitration just because they are so divided, but who knows? Yeah, there's just no other bargaining like there is teacher bargaining. And it was an interesting test. I had a source um, text me the other day saying there's a difference between a litigator and a politician. Uh, When you're a litigator, there's a set number of legal issues. Once those issues are resolved, you're done. When you're a politician, endless possibilities. And the union, like Dave said, backed Tony Preckwinkle in this election. There's a lot of talk of them kind of flexing and showing their force. And I don't know if other unions in the city need to make that same kind of flex. Mary? I think that, you know, like them or not, Rahm Emanuel knew how to get a deal. And I think now the learning curve, perhaps Mayor Lifefoot knows how to get the next deal. Again, the teachers union, the difference this time, Karen Lewis versus Jesse Sharkey and Stacey Davis-Gates, who seemed to be so collaborative, and I'm sure the union appreciated that, but from the outside, it appeared kind of democracy run amok, you know, like, oh, my goodness, you have to go to all 40 people on the bargaining team, every issue. But but is that uncommon for? I think Karen Lewis. It is uncommon to have a a 40-member big bargaining team like the union has. Yeah. Karen Lewis perhaps was as collaborative, but she knew how to play a more, you know, as a vile. I mean, she just, she was in charge. She was definitely in charge. This was the Jesse, Stacey, and the 38 others, which made it somewhat unruly. But, you know, one question that still remains is whether or not the union membership will ratify this contract. That is an outstanding question. I think the it starts in about 10 days. So there is this waiting period when teachers are going to have to mull this over and figure out if this is, is this a contract that works for them. And I think a lot of people assume, well, of course they'll vote yes. But AD, can we make that assumption? Well, Marianne and I were both there on uh, the House of Delegates meeting on Wednesday, and that vote was remarkably close. I think it was 60-40 to accept the tentative agreement. As Stacey Davis-Gates says all the time, it is a very democratic union. They will voice their concerns. They're a raucous union. And and I wouldn't make any guarantees, which I think uh, Jesse Sharkey said 
multiple times. No guarantees. No guarantees. I mean, I saw a figure in the paper this morning that, that stuck with me that after year five of this deal, the average teacher salary in Chicago is going to be around $98,000. And I think if you ask just about, you know, anybody in the middle class, they're going to say that's a pretty good a pretty good rate of pay, you know. So from the outside looking in, as Marianne says, that's, you know, I think people are going to say, well, wait a minute. You but know, but what's that's the-, the thing about this strike, Dave, is that over the course of the strike, teachers said over and over, this is not a fight about salary. This is not just about pay. This is about conditions in the classroom. And here on the show, we were taking a lot of calls from parents. And for many parents, that argument resonated with them. So I wonder how that complicates the issue when they're not really putting the focus on salary. They're putting the focus on these other things in the classroom. And that's the mood of the country. The other the strikes that we've seen, teacher strikes, L.A., Portland. Chicago set the tone in 2012, you know, and they all were emboldened then to as well strike. L.A. did also class size in librarians and nurses, the phase in. I can't imagine that the rank and file is not going to ratify this. I mean, folks are ready to go and done with it. And hey, how many of us have a five-year guaranteed deal? Not many. So uh, it's always a compromise. There's You don't get everything, but they, they did pretty well. Yeah, I mean, public sector unions have been under attack for a while. I mean, we saw the Supreme Court opinion under Rauner, I think, the, the Janus case. And everybody thought public sector unions were going to fall apart. Well, this is an example, I think, where you can hold this up nationally. And it's, it's a template for other places. It's, it's, it's what a union is capable of doing. Now, I will say on the flip side, one thing that they didn't get I don't think a firm commitment anyway was on this issue of the elected school board. I mean, they, you know, toward the end, the, the very final stages of these negotiations, the House Speaker put out a statement saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give this full consideration. But of course, you know, what we see in the House and Senate all the time are the two ships passing in the night phenomenon where there may not be, you know, a, a single thing that gets reconciled. But they didn't get that out of this set of negotiations. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, NBC5 Chicago political reporter Mary Ann Ahern, and Crane Chicago business, government, and politics reporter A.D. Quigg. Some other stories we're watching today. A long-polluted site on Chicago's southeast side was added to the Superfund National Priorities List this week. The 67-acre parcel at 126th and Avenue O had been used for a quarter century to store slag, a byproduct from the steel making process. The property is contaminated with lead and chromium. No word yet on when the cleanup will begin. A Chinatown group is hosting public meetings to discuss the potential impact of a casino on Chicago communities. At the group's first meeting in Chinatown Wednesday, residents expressed concerns about the impact on low-income Chinese residents. In November, the group will host another meeting on the city's south side. Well, the Lightfoot administration kicked off a series of budget hearings this week to walk city council through the mayor's 2020 pro- budget. Aidy, just what does that process entail exactly? Oh, boy. It's so fun. <laughs> and I have gotten to I missed a lot of it because I've been on strike coverage. But generally, it's every department coming before aldermen in council chambers and saying, here's our budget and here's why we need this much money. It basically goes all day long. I was there last night. I think Joe Ferguson, uh, the city's inspector general, was there until about 630. So it's all week long, all day long, money, money, money. Well, Dave, you know, this is an interesting moment for the mayor because she is turning to Springfield to say, hey, if I'm not going to raise property taxes, I need help 
from you. Um, she's counting on $50 million via graduated real estate transfer tax that requires action in Springfield. And she wants legislators to rework the tax structure for the Chicago casino license. What's the temperature in Springfield right now? Well, I think the temperature in Springfield is hot, but it's not, I don't think it's because necessarily of this. I think it's all the stuff we're going to be talking about later in the show. But but I think, you know, if, if anything's going to happen on those two issues, it will happen in the, in the second week of the veto session, which will be coming up later this month, another week or so. You know, what we've seen on the real estate transfer tax in Springfield, we've seen some pushback from some Chicago Democrats in the House, you know, kind of quibbling with, with the way that this money would be spent. You know, they want more assurances for uh, homeless uh, programs and things like that. You know, I think that's going to be worked out. But Governor Pritzker has, has you know, put his support behind this uh, this issue. And I think that's that's a, a big help. The casino part of this is is a huge unknown. It's a Pandora's box. When you open gambling in Springfield, you know, everything comes out of the woodwork and it becomes very difficult to maneuver. And then you add the the, the piece of this that we don't know about with the corruption and the, the you know, one of the architects of the, the gambling legislation is himself, Senator Terry Link, under, under question uh, in relation to some of the stuff we'll be talking about later. So I, I think that's an unknown right now. Well, Marianne, you know, I, I, it feels like this puts Alderman in a bit of a pickle because they're waiting for word from Springfield because Mayor Lightfoot has not taken raising property taxes off the table if she can't get this help. So, you know, where where are they right now with this whole process? I think besides the few like Alderman Beal and, and Lopez who have been outspoken, we're hearing even more starting to say, whoa, 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 what's your plan B? And they're very concerned that the budget as presented is not going to be the budget that they vote on. I have not been hearing, and I have not been at the meetings as, as AD has been this week, but I, you do not hear or read that, boy, this is going to sail right through. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just one challenge after another, quite the, the tightrope that she is walking. But folks are definitely feeling more ready to speak out and up and say, I'm not sure that your numbers are what really are going to happen. Mm. And, and, and A.D., will the these budget hearings make this more clear for aldermen? I don't think things will be clear until the veto session is over. Mm. Aldermen need an answer about whether that money will be there, not only the $50 million this year for the, the real estate transfer tax, but next year $100 million, and the year after that $100 million. And for the casinos, how they're going to continue meeting these pension obligations. All the money from an eventual Chicago casino is supposed to go to police and fire pensions. And if there isn't a deal there, they've got to start counting on where that money is going to come from, too. And what I'm also hearing is this somewhat of tension between the mayor and the governor, and perhaps you all have heard it as well, that the governor is saying, trying to be diplomatic of, oh, of course, we'd love to help the city. But I don't think there has been this uh, collaborative effort between the mayor and the governor quite yet. Perhaps she's been preoccupied, but you've got to be able to juggle a lot of balls. And so it's not a sure thing that she's going to get everything that she wants in Springfield. That's Mary Ann Ahern from NBC5. Also a Along with us for the ride is A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business and WBEZ's Dave McKenney. Uh, well, let's take a listen to some other big stories from the week. Representative Louis Arroyo was charged with bribery earlier this week. He's accused of bribing a state senator, offering him to pay him $2,500 a month in return for support for one of his bills. This charge relates directly to Representative Arroyo's official duties and his oath of office. Lock him up! Lock him up! Lock him up! Since Eddie Johnson has been police chief, 
More than 1,500 people have been murdered in Chicago. Last year, 565 people were murdered in Chicago. And we learned earlier today that Representative Arroyo has resigned from the Illinois House. Dave, just explain what Arroyo is accused of. He was caught, allegedly, on a government wire basically soliciting a state senator. The state senator is unidentified in the court documents. But Arroyo was representing a sweepstakes gambling company. You know, these are the the machines you see in bars and places like that, that you can put a quarter in or a dollar or whatever, and and there are payouts, but they're not technically legal under Illinois law. And he, he represented a company that is attempting to try to legalize them. And so Arroyo wanted that to happen in Springfield, and he allegedly approached the senator. Will you carry this bill? If you do, I've got $2,500 a month that, uh, you know, allegedly I'm willing to pay you for six months, maybe a year, uh, as, a, as a gesture. And it was a shock, you know, on many levels. You know, gambling has just, you know, it's been on everybody's mind here. It was a major piece of Governor Pritzker's legislative accomplishments for the spring, the big casino expansion and gambling expansion. And to see kind of this going on in, in August, and, and remember, this all was supposed to happen, allegedly, in this legislative session that began this week. And he's not the only lawmaker who, who's kind of caught up in this. There's some other names being thrown around. Both papers in town, the Sun-Times and Tribune, have identified this unnamed senator as State Senator Terry Link. He's a He's been around forever up in Lake County. And uh, I talked to him uh, earlier this week, and he was adamant. He said, I have not worn a wire. I have not spoken to Representative Arroyo about this. I have not given any commitment to run this. I am not the unidentified state senator one. You know, he was as adamant as he could be about it. So there's a little bit of lack of clarity, I guess you could say, about you know who this unnamed senator is. But it, it has created this gigantic dust-up, as you can imagine, in Springfield, because now everybody, they're just fearful about who are we talking to at any given time? Are we being recorded? And and so it's just put this massive pall over everything. There. Well, in 80, the feds have had a pretty heavy presence uh, in the state as of late. Do we get a sense for these how these things are connected? You know, there have been raids on different offices and and lots of names. Comet and Exelon is, is, is out there Safe now. Speed, the red light camera company, I mean, Gold Rush Amusements, uh, various lobbyists, Jay Doherty from the City Club, uh, Mike Madigan. There are areas where the feds are obviously interested, but we don't know exactly how everything links together. There's also that was the raid on Alderman Kerry Austin that we haven't heard much about since since then. Um, the Southwest suburban uh, village halls that were raided a few weeks ago. And there's more to come. The, the folks that know things are like there's just a lot more. And it's it's shocking the number and speed with which these are happening. It's only been a few months, but it feels like every other week there's some raid on somebody. Well, Mary and lawmakers in Springfield are now pushing for ethics reform during the veto session. (laughs) I mean, just talk about the significance of this moment. Well, they should. I shouldn't laugh. But, you know, of course they do. Now they're up against the wall. So now they're going to push for ethics legislation. You know, have we seen this play before. You know, it happened in City Hall. It's happened at the county board. It's just like the Me Too stuff. You know, all right, great. Put some new rules in place. But do you really follow them? Are you still in charge of each other? Who's 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 the independent watchdog? That That's where the, the problem always lies. So that's going to keep them perhaps from moving forward on the gambling. And, and that then is back to the budget that we talked about previously. If they're 
talking ethics when they return in a couple of weeks. When are they having time to talk about what Lightfoot needs for her budget? So it's it's a scramble. I mean, I don't even see how they can credibly have a conversation about ethics legislation because not a single one of them knows where this investigation is going to wind up. They don't even know what they'd be legislating here. I mean, there's so much left. You have this sense, so much left to unfold here that they can act now. But, but you know, it just feels like six months from now, a year from now, we're going to know a whole lot more about the deficiencies in, in this system down there and what needs to be done to attack it. Well, and we should mention here, um, news broke, I believe it was this morning, that the SEC is investigating Exelon and ComEd, um, looking into their lobbying practices. ComEd has a huge presence in Illinois, clearly, Dave. Talk about the significance of this investigation. The Securities and Exchange Commission statement came during their quarterly earnings report yesterday. And it comes on top of acknowledgments by them earlier of receiving two grand jury subpoenas, one of which indicated that their Illinois lobbying activities were under investigation. The second subpoena that ComEd and Exelon received made note that they were interested in communications with an array of individuals, including State Senator Martin Sandoval, whose statehouse office was raided by the FBI on September 24th. They have a world of hurt on their hands right now, ComEd and Exelon, and I think they are trying to figure out how to unravel all of this. They are spending enormous amounts of money, we are told, trying to insulate themselves from, and I think maybe find out exactly for their shareholders what's been going on here, because it all revolves, I think, around the way that they have attempted to get some of these major pieces of legislation through Springfield, which, having covered many of them, they are about the densest pieces of of legislation you can imagine. Thousands of pages, often hundreds of pages, that are dropped on people's desks a day before adjournment or the day of adjournment. No real ability to study and digest them. And, and then these things carry multi-billion dollar impacts on the company. Of course, they invest tons of money in their lobbying effort there. And, and now it's a question of did they go too far? Did they commit crimes in the way that this lobbying has taken place over the years? Well, Governor J.B. Pritzker says he's, quote, disgusted uh, by the recent string of state lawmakers tied to corruption. And I want us to listen to what he had to say. I'm angry, frankly, and I'm disgusted by these people who take advantage of the public, who, who take public office and think that this is okay. We are going to make changes in the state of Illinois. We are going to make changes in our ethics laws. Um, we are going to root these people out. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad, frankly, that people are being caught um, and sent away. It, it is time. A.D., how much pressure can the governor put on lawmakers to get an ethics reform package through? I guess it depends when. Like Dave said, I think unlikely in the veto session, just given how many people are under scrutiny and who's in charge of what and how you can draft something that's actually effective. And this isn't just... Springfield. This is also the Chicago City Council. It's it's just like a lot of uh, it's a lot of stuff to try to get under control, and it's very difficult to to enact meaningful legislation to to crack down on some of this stuff. I mean, Ad, just consider for one moment here. I, I've not heard anybody in Springfield talk about what they might do in terms of disclosure and in, in the world of lobbying. You know, if, if you go to an ethics statement. Uh, oh, or, or a lo- lobbyist registration in Springfield, you can't find out anything at all about what these people are being paid. You know, I understand generally that the, the, the typical lobbying contract can be four or $5,000 a month for 
for a top flight lobbyist, more than that sometimes, and there's no disclosure of that. So let's let's start with that, for example. That kind of disclosure. I, mean, I remember Jim Edgar used to talk about disclosure was the greatest disinfectant. You know, over the years, it kind of becomes true because it seems like, you know, aside from subpoenas and, and grand juries, right. the only thing these guys respond to is public humiliation. When sometimes. I was reading the charges against uh, Representative Arroyo, I, I saw that it said sweepstakes legislation. And I attempted to look up um, on the city's ethics database which alderman had been lobbied and on which specific bill. And it doesn't tell you any of that. It just tells you, I was lobbying alderman on behalf of this company on this general topic. So we don't know, is it in favor or against this ordinance? How long did they talk? In what way did the communications uh, happen? There's a lot that could be disclosed that isn't. And the other part is there are a lot of legislators who serve as lobbyists. So we've got folks who are representing people in Springfield, but lobbying people in Chicago, people that work in Chicago and are lobbying people in Springfield. Meanwhile, they're, they're pals and taking campaign donations from a lot of these people, too. Well, we were Wouldn't talking that about be a co- great place to start with the ethics? Was, you know, to do Lobbying, outlaw. of course. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it, with ComEd, for example, they have at least 15 former legislators in their lobbying stable. Consider that for a moment. There's a reason that they're all flocking there to do that work. It's lucrative. Before we wrap up, I quickly want to talk about President Donald Trump's visit Monday to Chicago for the first time since taking office. Marianne, how did it go? Well, it was part of the called White House pool. So it really all it meant was I was part of the motorcade. But, you know, <laughs> so that, you know, get to zoom through the lights and just get right there. His speech to the international chiefs of police, it was a, a speech that uh, President Obama gave several years ago when, when they were here. Trump did it last year in Orlando. He personally came to Chicago and then denigrated the superintendent and the city while he was here in the city, which was, you know, it, it really takes some guts to do something it's like that. It's pretty far for the course, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, de- he delivered a speech at that conference, and we have a clip here. Let's listen. Police officers of Chicago are entitled to a police superintendent who has their backs and knows what he's doing. You're entitled to a police superintendent who sides with you, with the people of Chicago. The people want this. So A.D., Mayor Lightfoot came to Johnson's defense on Twitter saying, quote, President Trump knows as much about policing as he does running a fair and transparent government. I stand by the superintendent for living up to the values of this great city and its residents. And I'm curious about this moment for Superintendent Eddie Johnson. There's been questions about whether or not he's going to keep his role with CPD. And here, Mayor Lightfoot's put in a position where she comes to his defense. Your thoughts? Right. And we're also still waiting to hear about the inspector general's investigation into Eddie Johnson being found asleep in his car after uh, an evening of drinking. And like we talked about, um, Mayor Lightfoot said over and over that she would not let him go during the summer months when the city is traditionally most violent. It seems as though she has supported him publicly, but I'm sure this is something that is on her mind. But again, like Marianne has said and Davis said, she has a lot on her plate right now. And the search for a new superintendent is very time consuming and an important one. There are not that many people that can fulfill that role. That's A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business, along with WBEZ's Dave McKenney and Mary Ann Ahern of NBC5. And that's a wrap for today's Reset. Hey, look for a Sunday edition of the podcast to drop sometime before you get your morning coffee started. And you'll be starting that coffee with an extra hour of sleep because we're setting the clocks back this weekend. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. 